spoke of night. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was her usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones, and many, many other places. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com it is a free download or free stream in there but obviously if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment etc enjoy speak to you soon bye bye hi guys andy n spoken label back in the house again and I'm on Zoom again today for the second time to do a session. And I've got an, a gentleman with me today that I've had a referral come through. Michael Maul, is it, Michael? Have I pronounced your surname correctly there? Now, yeah, now I'm going to let Michael introduce himself in a minute, but it's always good this when I do spoken label because people are always referring people over to me. So, it's, so I'm going to let Michael introduce himself and he'll tell everybody in a moment where he's from and where he's writing all which he came from, and we'll start from there. So, over to you, Michael. Do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them who you are. Obviously, like, you've, moved, you've moved into two collections and tell them where you originally came from and where you're living now. And we'll start from there. Okay. Thank you. Um, well, uh, I, I guess broadly I live in the United States. And uh, I've spent um, probably most of my life in the northern part of the United States in Ohio which is close to the Great Lakes, um, you know, Lake Erie and things like that. And, and about six years ago, I retired and moved all the way to the bottom of the United States, the state of Florida, which is where I've been living now. Um, I've been writing since I was probably 18 or 19. I began publishing when I was 20, I think, uh, fiction and uh, poetry, and I've written a novella too, but I've really gone um, specifically with free verse poetry for uh, a long time, probably 30, the last 30 years. Wow, now, it's amazing, like it seems like um, your books have come later on then, haven't they, certainly, because we were talking off mics, obviously your first book you bought out then, which I'm just going to refer to now, Dancing Naked in Front of Dogs covers poetry from 2014 to 2018. What made you want to do a collected poem from that time in your life then? You know, uh, I I was still earning a living uh, and in my career uh, until 2014. And like many people, especially, you kind of get in a habit, I think, of letting your job take over too much of your life or too much of your share of mind. Um, so I would think about it after work or whatever, or, you know, worry over something um, or be proud of 
of goals that I achieved that basically the rest of the world would never care about, and I wouldn't either once I retired. So um, I didn't really miss a beat. I mean, I I retired, and then I began uh, um, then I began writing more and more poetry and looking at what I'd done in the past and you know where I wanted to go with it and uh, and looking at, at just subjects that I wanted to write about and themes and that sort of thing so you know what came um, is what came and I never really had to sit down and wait to be inspired there were always too many poems and not enough time so at any one time I may be writing um, five or six poems simultaneously. Wow. So, <laughs> like horses on a racetrack, and they're all going for the finish line somewhere, and they're in different places along that line. Um, and then there's, you know, ideas behind that. The, I, I, when they come to me, um, they, they make themselves known pretty dramatically. So, you know, I have the idea, it won't let me go. <laughs> I don't want it to let me go, and I sort of give myself over to it, and you know, do a kind of a rough, rough draft, I guess, if you would say, of a of a poem, and then, you know, I may be rewriting it over a course of anywhere from two weeks to five years. Yeah, join join the club there. Certainly, like I tend to just do one poem after another normally, but like like you said, it's when the poem's done, it's a rough draft to me, and it might get put down for a day. Or sometimes twenty five years is my record so far. <laughs> so, but yeah, now I get you completely. So, but like it's when you're working on, say, for example, five poems at once. Do you have any sort of pattern in mind on it? Do you just like spend half an hour looking at one, thinking, "Oh, hang on, that I should be working on that one today"? Or well, um, no, not so much. I, you know, I probably will let. Um, Probably one of the poems is what I will do the majority of in, in the course of a day, but then I will switch off because it, they can get uncooperative and intransigent. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, I like that. Them by just putting them back on the shelf for another day, and I will move on to the next poem, which creates jealousy, of course, among them. Um, so they buy for my attention, and it works out better. Yeah, no, I can, I can relate to you on that one straight away. Do you have any sort of reoccurring themes that crop up in your work a lot? or? Well, they're, they're all filtered, you know, obviously through me, the author, so I, I think I may be the reoccurring theme. <laughs> um, but, but they, you know, they cover a lot of, they just cover a lot of areas. Uh, I've lived in um, rural city and not even city small towns in kentucky uh or near kentucky um where there was a, a bus accident and 80 children uh perished inside of a inferno from this church bus um and uh, you know I, I didn't lose anybody i knew um but I was close enough, and it just seemed horrific to me, and it just stayed in my mind until I was able to uh, write a poem about it. Um, and the title of that poem is The Close of Children Claimed by Fire. Um, because in such a poor area of Appalachia, um, the people who lost their children 
laundered the clothes and took them to churches so other kids could wear them, uh, you know, surviving children. So, I mean, it was full of human spirit, it was full of tragedy, it was full of hope, it was full of going on. And uh, I didn't really, you know, go through these steps at that time, but the poem came out that way. And um, so that's an example, I guess, of something that, that I wrote that didn't involve me directly, but we're all part of the human race and, you know, anybody reacts to that. Um, so, you know, I do that. Some of them are, are more, you know, relationship oriented and kind of more straight up and as far as involving, you know, me personally, whether it's, it's you know, my family or my, my mother's death or, you know, um, things with my, my children or whatever. So, you know, who knows where ideas come from, but they don't, they're just more of them than there is time. <laughs> That I can well relate to straight away, but I completely agree with you there. It's sometimes my life is I, I never seem to get time to sit down to write as much as I want. So yeah, I get you completely. Now, obviously, since your collected poems came out, we I do know obviously now this is how I first heard of you was through your chat book that's come out recently as well, Birds Who Eat French Fries, which is a fantastic title. Now, where did that title come from? First of all, then. Well, I, well, that's my dog. <laughs> Let's just, we'll wait just a second. So that stops. Uh, I think he's going to get thrown out of the room. <laughs> there you are. A summary judgment. Uh, out. So, yes, you, um, you asked me about the poems. Yes, yes, obviously you've bought another chapbook out since you collected poems. Yeah. Birds who eat French, get us right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did the title from that piece came come from? Well, um, I'm not proud to say that I was in the parking lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> uh, my partner's, my partner's favorite place. <laughs> yeah. Now, there's basically only two choices to uh, to eat. One is inside, which is a little sadder than being in the parking lot and eating in your car. So I chose the parking lot in the car, and across from me is uh, not another diner like myself, but a bird that is eating ah, a pile of fries that somebody had thrown out their car window. Hmm. I took a photograph of it, and that photograph became came the cover of my chat book. Ah, brilliant. Um, and it just made, you know, it made me think as I was doing it that I, you know, I probably ought to be eating something healthier than this. And then I thought, well, hell, that bird ought to be eating something healthier than this too. <laughs> and what makes, a, what makes a bird learn to want French fries? Um, and then I just, it just seemed sort of an aberration of nature to me because um, it was um, a, uh, an offshore bird, a beautiful bird. And uh, I just thought, and I, this is in the poem, that it was made for better things, um, you know, to float on waves and to search for schools of fish and things. Um, and I thought, well, it's morphing into human beings, uh, not unlike... Um, Dinosaurs, uh, people theorize, have morphed into birds. 
Um, and I thought, well, they just sort of jumped over the dinosaur morphing and become human beings. They're eating fast food now. Uh, birds are. So anyway, that that was just what I was playing with. In ah. That became the title of the book. Fantastic, fantastic title. Now, we were talking, obviously, before I started recording, like, um, in between, obviously, your first book, Dancing Naked in Front of Dogs, then Birds Who Eat French Fries, you moved properly, moved it, didn't you? And you moved areas. And you were both, obviously, you were thinking, feeling that your poetry has changed or developed, hasn't it, since moving from one area to another? It has, um because you had mentioned before i think you started recording that you had had a move maybe 20, 20 yeah. miles down the yeah. road uh, or kilometers down the road and uh in my case i moved a thousand miles south massive difference <laughs> and, yeah it's a whole different climate um and different wildlife and different flora and fauna and all of those sorts of things so occasionally, I mean, uh, since I lived so much of my life differently, when I walk out the door in Florida, it's like, my God, I'm where have I been transported to? Um, so I'm seeing manatee, and I'm fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, and I'm seeing lizards and egrets and um, beautiful things here. Um, and the subjects that you're uh, thinking about, are a little different and the, the, the visual input, the auditory input you're getting into your, your life that, that works its way into your poetry uh, has changed too. So it's really, it's just a nice milieu for me to be in, to be writing from. Uh, and, and it's not like being in Oz. Um, it's uh, because there are a lot of retire, retirees down here and, and it's, and it's very international down here. There's, uh, it's easy for Canadians to come down because they can just drive, um, longer drive. But, um, but then there's a lot of people from the UK uh, and throughout Europe that, that, that vacation here or, or come here for a while. I'm very close to Anna Maria Island, which is a popular destination for a lot of Europeans during the season. Um, so you get to meet different people and see different perspectives. Um, there's a lot of music, there's a lot of jazz, there's a lot of people that have retired from New York or wherever and have moved down here who've had recording careers and, and, uh, and just, just whole lives before they get here. No one usually talks about those lives much and you're always surprised to hear. If I can give you an example, I... Um, play about once a week in a jam band. And uh, I went to, I was invited to come to a practice of musicians, I guess just, just to jam in somebody's house. And an elderly man, elderly man came in with a Fender amplifier <coughs> that was like oh, as wow. much as he did and plugged it in. He played bass. I thought, well, this is kind of sad. This guy must be, you know, 85 or 90 wow. years old and he's playing this place. Uh, the space and everybody's just sort of tolerating him, which is kind of them. And then he started playing, and I thought, that's pretty good. And then I thought, that's like the best bass player I've ever heard, ever. And so when we got done playing a couple of songs, I, he was sitting beside me. I said, you know, you really play the hell out of that bass. I mean, 
that sounds good. He goes, yeah, he said, I've really been a musician all my life. And I said, oh, did, did you play with anybody I know? He goes, well, yeah, I played with Elvis. Wow. I was Elvis bass player. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but, oh, wow. And that was a lesson for me to not judge people about how they look or what's going on. This guy was great. Wow. So, um, it's, it's a rich environment for me to live in and for me to write in. Oh yeah, completely. Now obviously then they'll say that you've done the two books I was in, so do you have any ideas where you'd like your work to go to next then? You got, have you got a, another collection in mind of your... Yeah, I do. I think I'm going to do another chat book. Um, one of the reasons that um, I like poetry instead of fiction is fiction j can just take a long time. Um, and I don't feel like... Uh, I just have too much going through my head that I, that I want to sit down and follow a linear path of some story and plot and subplots. And I, I mean, I've written those before, but I had more time when I wrote this before. I was in my 20s, you know, then. So now I can, I can have a poem that I like in a week or Thumbs a couple of days. <laughs> and, if those get pulled together into 25 or 30 of them, they're a chat book. Um, if I can contrive some sort of thread that ties them together, um, or they make it into a larger collection. So I want to do another chat book now because I probably already have 25 poems that, uh, that nobody has seen that I'm happy with. Um, and uh, so I, I, I would imagine before this year is over, um, I'll, I'll have a, another chapbook out at the end of the year. Brilliant. Now, um, have you done many readings on your poetry? Have you, have you more than just a page poet so far, really? I, I have done live readings. Is that what you're asking? Yes, I am, yes. And how was that experience then for you? I love it. It's I, brilliant. I, I love doing it as well. <laughs> yeah, join the club. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's great. Um, one of them... Well, I'll start with the more peculiar one. I was asked by a radio reading service for the blind to come into their offices and read for an hour from uh, Dancing Naked in Front of Dogs. And I said, well, you know, my brother's blind. And they said, no, we didn't know that. And I said, yeah. and I said, and so many people listen to that radio show for input and art and whatever. And I said, I'd be honored to do that. I would love to do it. So we ended up reading for about an hour and a half, which they recorded and then played, you know, um, in, in different cities. Uh, and uh, so I couldn't see my audience and they couldn't see me. I thought this is just kind of perfect, you know. So, um, so that was a reading that was atypical. Um, but I have read in bookstores uh, and I've read in Ohio and I've read in Florida. What I love about it so much is once you've written poems that you feel have impact, that they're, they're doing what you want to do, you, and they feel right, and then you hear from a publication and they say, we'd like to publish your poem, we really love it, there's that level. But when you're reading it to a live audience and you can see visually the impact of your words on somebody's face, you know, when you get to a certain part in the poem that's dramatic or they're, they're appalled by in a positive way, 
uh, it's like, well, gee, that's exactly the reaction that I had and, and that I wanted. So it's a kind of feedback to an author uh, that is so real and marvelous. And it reminds you, um, I'm going on too much about this, but oh, don't I'll just say that it reminds you of the humanity you share because afterwards people come up and they say, well, you know, I'm going through something similar to that. And then they will describe what's going on in their lives. Um, so yeah, I love the contact. I love the validation from live readings. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm a big fan. Brilliant. Brilliant. Now, if people want to find out more about you, Michael, where are the best going? Well, I have, uh, I have a website, uh, michaelmall.net. Um, and um, that has some of my newer work on it. It has a, a bookstore tab that you can click on where you can buy Dancing Naked in Front of Dogs or Birds Who Eat French Fries. It has uh, a couple interviews uh, with me on there by uh, print journalists. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe some video. So anyway, that's... that's uh, and break kind of sort of breaking news right as, as they say to uh, oh yeah <laughs> uh, my website breaking news is goes back about three months so, <laughs> um, so that would be a, a yeah that would be a place to find and then i have a facebook page called michael mall poetry and uh anybody's invited to come on facebook and look at that um it, it gets updated regularly too Live, but once every three months. <laughs> Brilliant. That's fine. That's all my questions, Michael. It's been a pleasure this today. So what we're going to do, we're going to pause the recording and we'll get you to read a few poems out for us, if that's okay with you. Right. Okay, everybody, bear with me a minute. I'll be right back. Spoke on me. Hi, guys. I'm still here with Michael at the moment, so I'm going to now... Let Michael take control of proceedings. He's going to read out four poems for us today. Over to you, Michael. Thank you, Andy. Um, I'm going to read two poems first from Dancing Naked in Front of Dogs, and then I'll end on two poems from Birds Who Eat French Fries in the chat book. So the first, I don't really explain my poems, but because if I'm doing my job, people are going to end up the same place I did, so that's fine. And this first one is called Anniversary Poem. <coughs> and here it is. I stood on the sidewalk by my parents when my brother set off on his first bike ride solo around the block and never came back. For 50 years, some of me has waited there halfway through his lap. But his journey continues as he learns firsthand lessons in how the universe expands. We had no way to know where he would go. No pins in a map to show a suspicious freezer in someone's garage, or a hit and run by a car, or a hyperbaric collection sack in the belly of a ship to Mars. What I know now, but did not know then, as many moments come and go, but really bad ones stay. They have made me live with the remains of a child heart 
in the frame of an aging man, still trying to negotiate with something, a slightly better version of forever. Scale them down so not to ask too much, hoping less enough could be approved, like meeting in a halfway place. He in a soft knit shirt I outgrew, and I, promising not to talk, just remain side by side with him in our own place, kickstands down and sidewalk safe. Brilliant. I read that one on your website this morning and I had my fingers crossed you were going to read that one out. <laughs> Look, I'm pl- brilliant. No, it really hit me hard that one this morning. I read that one. Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. Do you want to move on to number two? Yes. Poem number two um, is called Germantown. And um, 150 years ago, my family immigrated to the United States from Germany. Ah. We had a few Englishmen in the lot, too. But but, um, the Germans came in and became U.S. citizens. and we're buried in a pauper's grave. I finally found it before I left Ohio and bought a headstone for them. But my, uh, my grandfather was a musician and he played for, uh, in burlesque houses. Uh, good job. And he also um, played for uh, silent movies. So wow. Pit. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he was a sweet man. So, anyway, this is a German town for Walter Rice. Women shaped like pigeons dressed in black cotton calico plop the sidewalks on feet swollen into old world square heeled shoes. Pragmatic, boar bristle bearded men, austere sit straight to eat, then scrape the crumbs beside their plates into geometric shapes. They live where there is no greater sin than to suffer foolishness. At night, they write by candlelight the names of those who come and go. On a ledger, they keep Bible sown between the testaments old and new, bound in leather and near at hand. But there, among these farriers, carpenters, and breakers of land, was my German grandfather, who instead of any useful thing, taught kids to dance and sing. He was a virtuoso who labored in an orchestra pit, playing gastric tuba sounds for vaudeville skits and for silent film, wrote notes beautiful enough to earn the leading lady's kiss. Of all of them in Germantown, I am from this, who, one who found melody in sound. Excuse me. Wow. And coming back home with lamp lights lit, in his pockets broken chocolate bits, he sat on our beds and held our hands then sang us back to sleep one by one with lullabies he wrote for each. This man, 
less valuable than bumper crops and were fine-shaped wood, but more rare, a man beautiful like music. Wow, yeah, you can, what I like about that, Michael, there is you can see the love you had for your grandfather with that piece there completely. Yeah. And the last line alone and the rest of it, it's, just, it's, it's a fantastic piece. And I can yeah. I can suspect that piece took you quite a while to write as well, actually, there, but by the by the motion you had in the piece there, I think you were trying to yeah. convey. Brilliant. It, it, um, and, I, and, and I've read this poem at readings also, and I have, have more than once had people come up to me. There are a lot of people with immigrant roots in the United States, obviously, uh, will come back and tell me stories of their Polish parents or whatever their experience was uh, coming here because they're just such different cultures and they were just kind of different pots of cultures here. Yeah, I can relate to that completely because my family has got like a lot of Irish backgrounds in it. Because my father's yeah. mum was from Dublin and my dad's dad, I think it was Ed Edinburgh, if my memory is correct. So like I said, yeah, I can relate to that. When you get diff you get like the varied backgrounds, it does relate to yourself as a person, as a writer, particularly if you've met them. So fantastic. Okay, do you want to move on to your new collection? You throw us now then for two pieces. Thank you. I will. I'll say from birds who eat French fries. I have a poem that um, came out of a personal experience when I was very, very young. I was in grammar school, but I didn't know anything about life. Well, in grammar school, I actually didn't know anything about anything. So <laughs> we learned there. This uh, this was more of an adult kind of realization, and it's called Love Song for Melanie. Paris. I remember this of you, skin light white with clouds of blue. I was in third grade when dime-sized thunderheads first began to come and go on your neck, arms, and hands. Angry clouds of the darkest blue peeked out of a short-sleeved dress. Later, when you moved away, my mother explained a world in which sick people strike at things they find too good to be around. I don't know where you are today, but since have read mistreated children dread yet blame themselves for beatings that are meted out. There is next to nothing you could have done to make it end or to not give in to the fear of wondering when it begins again. But these are better times in which I imagine you fully grown, surrounded by a family of your own making, where I see your life playing out against skies bright, in skin you wear unmarred, in a life pure and simple, loving and secure, the rewards of a survivor life earned in recompense for years endured, an inheritance long promised to the meek. Sometimes I close my eyes and I see you that way too, as a saved girl, and in that see proof how very much God yet loves his imperfect, unfair world. 
great stuff again there yeah i can see the reflection in that piece it's a nice changing gears from your previous two pieces i think really so yeah i can see how your writing it's not that i'll never say writing changes it develops and it's there is a changing gears from that piece certainly to your first collection so brilliant thank you for that okay the conclusion time now isn't it for your finale <laughs> should we get the flags out shall we <laughs> I don't think I strategically arranged these for a finale, but this is the fourth poem. Um, Florida uh, <coughs> is home to a lot of retired people because if they have a choice to not live and work in ice and snow, they come to Florida and live in sand and sun instead. Sounds good to me. But um, they have a very high death rate here because people come here in their 70s and 80s so uh, there's always somebody that you know who's uh, giving up the ghost. So I wrote, uh, I've learned about it. I've, I've written a song, I've written a poem called Husbands Lost in Florida. And that's what this is about. They are still great destroyers of good women, no longer deflowering, but widowing their wives. Men shuttle in and mill at heaven's gate, like a mass beaching before the pro shop. On the days when men die, they reveal their true selves, sneaking off with tasks half done, never fulfilling all she wished or even what he promised. But the hatchet is buried now from that old war. Soon she will be moving too, to a one-floor house that will become her second story, where the end will play out, leaving behind friends and a few shaky men who, when husbands go away, seem to wander in. But she'll admit, in bed some nights on her lips, she'll still feel a kiss, slight and thin, as if they were kids again practicing to get it right. And a nagging reminder, too, whenever she leaves to turn out the lights, because money doesn't grow on trees. As if he is still weighing in while cruising by, enjoying his new infinity, where, after not hearing from him since forever, he now wants to invite her out again. Amen. <laughs> Oh, I like that weariness at the end of it then. Oh, man. It's like, yeah, <laughs> great stuff. Thank you for that, Michael. It's been brilliant today. Really enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and meeting you. So hang around. I need a quick word of you off mic. But this is Andy N. Thanking you today, Michael. It's been brilliant. And we'll see you all soon, Thank guys. Thank you. I appreciate um, talking to you and meeting you online. And I appreciate all of your viewers and listeners. Um, stopping in. Thank you, everybody. And thank you again, Michael. See you all soon, guys. Spoken Label. Thanks again for listening to another session of the Spoken Label. Our full archive can be found over on Bandcamp at Spoken Label. That's one word. Spoken Label. Full stop. Bandcamp.com. And there is over 150 sessions there. So I'm sure that if you've enjoyed this session, 
there'll be something else there you can enjoy as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken, mate.